The Premier League season is over, but we still have the FA Cup final, Champions League and Europa League to come. And Bet365 are offering a wide range of markets, including first, last or anytime goal scorers. With over 45 million members, it's the world's favourite online betting company. With the Bet365 Bet Builder, you can combine match results, players to score, number of goals and more to create your own personalised bet. And if you can't watch the games live, with Bet365's Match Live feature, you can follow every moment through live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sports betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple App Store. Over 18s only. Please gamble responsibly. Welcome to On The Ball, a Norwich City podcast from The Athletic. My name is Michael Bailey. I'm The Athletic's Norwich City correspondent, as I will be in the championship next season, by the way. And I hope this finds you safe and well. The season is over. Norwich have signed off with a hammering at Manchester City. It wasn't more than nine, so we can all take that. Uh, And we sign off in the fine company of my On The Ball stalwarts, Canary Stats Guru, known as NCFC Numbers on Twitter, or to us, Steve Sanders. Hello, Michael. And former Norwich City Press Officer, and I refuse to change this intro, Ben Mounser. Hello, Michael. Um, thanks for joining us. Uh, before we get going, uh, can I just say we are offering you guys out there the chance to try out The Athletic for free. You can read all my articles on Norwich City, uh, including uh, my Project Rebound story that was filed just after relegation, uh, mapping the path forward for Norwich City. Uh, there's also a, a good bit looking at what um, Jakob Sorensen can bring to Daniel Farker's side next season. Uh, to read all those and a whole lot more, uh, simply go to theathletic.com forward slash Norwich pod to take advantage of our 30-day free trial. That's theathletic.com forward slash Norwich pod. Uh, gentlemen, how are we? Thank you. Thank you for joining me. Um, Steve, how are you? I'm doing well, yeah. Always, always a pleasure to be on. Um, yeah, I suppose quite, quite glad the season's over. Really, um, it's you know, even if, even if Norwich had been doing slightly better than they had, it still felt slightly relentless. And that's just for me as a fan. So I can only imagine what it's been like for you, Michael. Uh, blur. And and just to reiterate, I mean, it was literally three months of lockdown of doing the same stories. Uh, there was no break, pretty much. Um, but you know, 352 days. That's, that's you know a fair fair crack of a season, really, isn't it? Um, we've got a few weeks off at least in terms of no football action. Ben, how are you? I'm very well, thank you, Michael. Um, Steve and I actually watched the game together on oh. Sunday, so we're going to bring some coordinated insights. <laughs> I love this. This is great. You, to, to be honest, can, can I go and get a nap, and then you two can just you know take it take it uh, away. Um, uh, Mr. Dan Brigham, um, who um, I'm delighted to say may well be joining us on this podcast as part of our crew next season. Um, he highlighted that, uh, Ben, when you were working at Norris City, it was, it was more on the content side than press officer, but um, I, I refuse to change the intro. I hope that's okay with you. That's fine, Michael. You know, you can completely disrespect my professional career. That's, that's, that's cool. Hey, I make a, <laughs> I've made a career out of that, so that's fine. Uh, but not just yours, thankfully. Uh, so uh, the season is over. For anyone fearing a drubbing of Ipswich at Old Trafford proportions, uh, they could feel relieved it was only five. Uh, for those lamenting Norwich's failure to be competitive this season, it was just another stick to beat the club with. Um, what do you guys want to get off your chest 
about the game. I've got a little list of the things I want to say, but the floor is yours, gentlemen. You want me to pick it up, Steve? Uh, I don't... Yeah, you go. Yeah. Go on, you're, uh, yeah, you're, no, you are um, coordinated, so I'm, I'm well, looking forward to this. <laughs> that's started well, hasn't it? <laughs> obviously, our, our, um, our observations and opinions are going to be exactly the same here. But uh, yes. no. <laughs> no, it's, it's, obviously, it was the last game of the season. Um, nothing sort of really riding on it for, for either team. Obviously, Man City have got other games to play this season in Europe, so maybe they were kind of looking looking forward to those a bit and, and keeping players sharp but yeah obviously it was the last game of the season and obviously there was a sense of inevitability about the outcome especially um, when we saw the team and, uh, and we, the, the kind of players that we knew weren't going to be involved in this match but actually um, I, I didn't I certainly didn't have that kind of sense of real disappointment like we have done in some of the previous defeats during the last few weeks because because of that kind of inevitability and I, I feel like you know there was there were some small positives to take from this match. Obviously, Manchester City won five nil, and it's. I think I saw NCFC numbers tweet that it was our biggest defeat under Daniel Farker, and obviously that's not a good thing. But um, I feel like, you know, largely and actually looking at our defence and, and the way we defended, there were some sort of brave performances in there and under the relentless pressure that Manchester City put you under. And there, there were a few other positives. Um, going forward as well so yeah while obviously it's a 5-0 defeat and no 5-0 defeat is good I think um, I'm, I'm certainly not feeling as down as I was after more recent um, matches I don't know what you have to add to that Steve uh, yeah well as you say you know we're going to be entirely coordinated on this um, uh, Ben and I uh, actually managed to we, we missed the first 10 minutes or at least listened to it on the radio um, and kind of stopped listening um, at a point where we thought oh we're 1-0 we're up great that's unexpected um got in turned the telly on the goal had been disallowed and then uh, two minutes later we were actually one nil down so if that didn't sum the season up uh, in a mic- in microcosm then i don't know what did um yeah it, it was it's a strange game really i mean i was kind of left thinking um how on earth did we beat this lot back in august that kind of just made that win all the more incredible for me um i think we caught city on a, a bit of an off day then and uh, yesterday they were very very good um I was looking at the number of shots and uh, 31 for them was the most that we've faced in a game for 14 years, um, wow. over 90 minutes anyway. So um, we were kind of battered, but at the same time, as, as Ben said, there were, there were positives to take out of it. There were some good individual performances. We did actually create a handful of chances. We probably should have taken at least one of them. Um, and it was a hiding to nothing, really. So I didn't expect anything better than 5-0. And that's what we got. It was, uh, these games are really hard to judge, has to be said, because I couldn't tell you what gear Manchester City were in. Um, and as for back in September, I think Norwich were A, lucky that Kevin De Bruyne came on when it was 3-1. Um, but I think that was a good thing. Uh, prob- uh, remains, was, has always been one of my favourite footballers. Um, he's just such a privilege to watch him play. I mean, those two goals were absolutely ridiculous. So uh, even the second one, which looks so simple just what he how he did it you're just like wow your mouth's open it's just so good um so there we go and it's probably hard to therefore judge Norwich as well I have written here that I thought Lucas Rupp deserved a bit of praise for for how he went about it and and maybe given he I suppose what I'm looking at that is through the prism that he's a man who's taken a lot of stick and that you know there's enough there to suggest that he should he should at least have some sort of role to play in the squad next season yeah. but I mean maybe that's you know yellow tinted glasses I don't know 
No, I think so, Michael, actually. I've, I've, I've said on this pod before, I think he, he will have a role to play next year. I think, obviously, when, when it came out that him and Kenny McLean were our, our midfield, two-man midfield, at the Etihad Stadium away to Manchester City, it was worrying. But he came out of it as well as he could have done, and he grew into it, and um, he was certainly one of our better performers on the day, definitely. There weren't many left, of course, and, um, and uh, Tom Tribal was back in, uh, back in Germany with, with his wife. Um, which Daniel said was for, for Daniel Farker said was for personal reasons. Um, no gifts, Steve, but I did note that Akin Fumewo and Jordan Thomas came on for about 30 seconds at the end um, to make their Premier League and senior debut for Norwich, has to be said as well. Um, so, I mean, that did look a bit like a gift. I don't, I don't, you know, it's just from how much he said it. I don't, I don't want to be critical, but, you know, I'm a little bit curious. And Norwich only had eight players on the bench, two of them goalkeepers. It's remarkable that twice a season they've named two goalkeepers on the bench both against Manchester City yeah that's true good I hadn't, hadn't thought of that yeah I suppose um, that, that does go to show that does show how, how shallow our squad is at the moment um, and you know the majority of the rest of the players were were essentially youth team players really who had kind of been been boosted up to the bench um, yeah on the, on the back to, to go back to the rip point I, I thought he was good um, I, I, I thought you know I don't, I don't want to kind of continue beat him with a stick but um the Chelsea game he played really badly uh it's the worst I've seen him play but but yesterday he he was certainly good out of possession um and he used the ball quite well um you kind of think you know we have been hard on him um but you wonder whether if the likes of I don't know to pick a couple of names let's say Vrancic and Stieperman if we hadn't seen what they'd done in the championship last year would we be saying the same about them um, so maybe Rook does need a year in the in the championship to to kind of make a name for himself. At least I'm willing to give him another chance. <laughs> and the bigger picture with Rupp as well. He, you know, he had a bad injury, a really bad injury, not that long ago. He came in in January, thrown into the Premier League, and then lockdown happened. So you know, there there are a lot of sort of extenuating circumstances, and I think you have to kind of hope. Hopefully, we we get get the opportunity to make a a, a sort of better judgment on him as as a player for Norwich City um, next season. I, I do think he will be around and I do think he will be a um, an option for Daniel Farker and somebody, somebody who can contribute positively in the championship. Uh, I know Hernandez, as you guys mentioned, was really unlucky not to uh, score, um, even though it was chalked off for offside. He also had a great run in the second half um, and he played pretty well. I think he's probably been the most consistent performer since the restart, even though I still think he's very in and out of games and it still could be really difficult to nail down what he's going to do in terms of an end product, which can't be very easy for his teammates either. Um, and of course, Tim Abuki had his um, had his chance through on goal um, and, you know, I'm not a professional footballer nor an established striker. To me, I wish he'd have just taken it round him because he was very straight on goal and there was an option to, to go to open up the angle. But Edison's quite a good goalkeeper. So um, uh, basically, one of you can take an L and one of you can take Temu as a discussion point. Who wants to go first? Steve, you go first. Go on, you can choose. Oh, I get the choice. Well, I, I was going to say about Arnell that um, he's one of the few players who I think will, w you know, will almost certainly be here next season. I think for, for for one reason or another, most of the squad will potentially may move on to bigger things, or um, uh, Daniel Farquhar and Stuart Weber may decide actually they're they're not part of the promotion push for next year. I think Arnell will be here. He probably hasn't impressed quite enough in the Premier League to 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 get a move back. Um, but you, I mean, you mentioned the words end products, Michael, and that's what it's all about with Onel. Um, I know we're going to talk about uh, Placetta, um later. I think that's partly why he's been brought in is maybe to to be that player that provides that end product. But I've been really enthused by what I've seen from Hernandez, um, and he's been, as you say, one of the bright spot 
one of the bright spots of um of the post lockdown era um he just needs to he just needs to be more consistent in that final third and and we'll have a real player he he's one who who we did have last time who I'm excited can repeat that season that he had last year Interesting you say that. I've already had a, a Turkish journalist uh, on on at me um, mentioning that Fenerbahce want to sign uh, an El Hernandez. So, it'll oh, be well, scratch but, just, but, yeah. but but no, it, oh, hey, it's transfer speculation. So who knows? But um, <laughs> yeah, it, it is interesting which other clubs will have looked at it and will, will want to move, and also which players fancy a move like that rather than continuing in England. It'll be interesting. Uh, ben, you get Temu. Yeah, and I think actually Hernandez and Puki fall into a category of players that I find really interesting. Obviously, a lot of um, talk has been about how how we're going to manage to hold on to our young players and our, our real high potential players. There's that, there's that group of players who made massive contributions in the title winning season. Puki and Hernandez among them, but you're also thinking of people like Vrancic and Stiepenman and Leitner. And it's going to be really interesting to see which of those players are going to be here next season. As for Timu Puki, we don't need to trawl through the numbers again. Everyone knows he hasn't done much for the last few months. But um, it's interesting in the wake of another Turkish club being linked with one of our players with Besiktas mm. and Puki this week. And it kind of planted a seed in my mind about whether if I was Stuart Weber and we got a serious offer for Timu Puki this summer, would we consider it? And I, I, and I think uh, this might be controversial, but I think you should because he obviously has fallen off a cliff in terms of his form. Um, he's 30. He'll be a you know, relative high earner. Um, can we confidently say that he is going to get anywhere near to the kind of form that he showed in the championship um, two seasons ago? No, no one can be confident about that given what's happened recently. So yeah, I mean, I, I think there is certainly a case for if, if, if someone makes a serious offer for Puki, then we, we have to consider it in my opinion. Which will, obviously, with all of these players, so much it comes down to who's going to come in and how much they're going to offer. And that goes for yeah, yeah, bigger, absolutely. the yeah. bigger assets. I did see someone, apologies, I can't remember who it was, um, mentioned on Twitter to me, um, let's, let's sell, let's sell Timo and use the money to buy Dennis Mann, which um, I, think, I think Norwich have, have, um, and probably Stuart Weber have, have moved on from Dennis Mann from the fun and games of dealing with, uh, with uh, his uh, Romanian club at, at present. But also he's not a striker. And surely if you do sell Timo Pukki, you have to invest that money in a striker, not in, in, in a backup, uh, in, a, yeah, in a, uh, a player behind him. I think so. Look, we need to sign a striker. There's no doubt about it. I mean, unless Josip Dermic does turn out to be a lot better than what he's shown so far. Um, Carlton Morris has obviously gone back on loan to MK Dons. Adam Ida is very young, although very highly rated by, by everyone at Colney. We know that. Um, so regardless of what happens to Timu Puki, we do need to sign a striker. And then do you say, like, we're going to sign someone as a backup to Puki? Or do you say we're going to sign someone to directly compete with Puki? Um, and obviously that decision is kind of um, informed by what actually happens to Puki. But I think if we're on the lookout for a striker, I think we should be looking for someone who is going to really challenge Timu for that that starting berth. Um, Steve, do you want to mention Jordan Rhodes at this point? <laughs> um, well, I wouldn't want to go into the season with with Rhodes as our as our number one, but I but I, I'd happily have him back. I mean, I I, I agree with Ben. I, I kind of think well, and I'm just thinking of from Weber's mindset that as you know, he's something of a businessman, and I think he would look at Pookie and think, perhaps, have we seen the best of him? Are we ever likely to get the kind of money that that teams like the Shakers might offer us this summer? Um, the the problem is 
where do you find another Timmy Pukki from? The, the reason that last season worked so well is because we, we had a striker who was quick, who uh, had outstanding movement. I mean, the, the best movement I've ever seen from a Norwich City striker in terms of his understanding of, of when to go and, and how to link up with players. Um, fan, was finishing ridiculously well, taking shots on early. Um, just everything that we needed him to be. Um, where are we going to find another striker like that from? Um, I would have faith in Weber to, to do all the necessary due diligence to find that player, but whether we can get it to work in the same way that it worked with, with Timo, it's, it's going to be very, very difficult. This podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, the expert in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. And Manscaped has just launched in the UK. We've gone years without using the right tools for the job. So you can be one of the first men in the country to experience Manscaped's life-changing products. Their third-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce manscaping accidents. And the water-resistant technology also allows you to groom whilst in the shower. And we've got a special offer right now for all of you listening to this podcast. Get 20% off and free shipping right now by using the code EPL20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com with the code EPL20. Happy shaving. It's interesting because so much of this season is about, a, uh, or about where we are right now is about a bigger picture and well, it's okay because we'll, be back in the championship with a better platform to build on them, et cetera, et cetera. And then just imagine if you went into that without your top scorer of 29 goals and say Emi Buendia, who is untouchable basically at that level. I mean, they are two significant players too. And, and the rest wouldn't necessarily have changed around them. So it's, uh, it's an interesting one. Um, just to wrap up from the weekend, shall we? Uh, Bournemouth and Watford, they were also uh, relegated. Um, it's an interesting one because that means that the three teams promoted in 2015 are now back in the championship. So um, as if anything proves football is cyclical, that's that. I mean, both were established sides. Um, I suppose the interesting thing here is that the Bournemouth and Watford have both been, even though you know they've had their issues, significantly better than Norwich this year. So uh, Norwich have got to be in a better position than both of those sides for starters come next year, Steve. Yeah, they do. And uh, I mean, I think, as you said, they're established Premier League clubs. I don't know whether that will necessarily work in their favour because they have a lot of players that will have not played in the Championship before. Um, Watford more so than Bournemouth, I think. Um, so, yeah, but ultimately you're right. They were 13 points better than us. Um, what, what interested me about the, the table, the final table yesterday is that Villa finished staying up um, uh, with 35 points um, and I don't want to deal too much in Whataboutry because we were miles off obviously but I know we were talking a lot during lockdown about what's going to be enough what do Norwich need to do we looked at those five home games and said well if they can win those then they could do it and they were all winnable on paper Southampton, Everton, Brighton, West Ham and Burnley um, and had they won all five of them they would have stayed up and I know they were miles off doing it but I think it, it was just interesting to kind of think back to that time and think we, we, could, we could have done it. We could feasibly have done it if they'd been on it from the, from the outset. And if we'd have clung on to some of the points that we lost around Christmas and the New Year period as well. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. It's so all many ifs, one, it's So many 1-0 half-time. <laughs> so many 1-0 leads at half-time at Carrow Road. Um, 
Yes, indeed. Uh, Steve, I thought you were going to mention the uh, VAR goal that wasn't um, at home to Sheffield United that has effectively kept Aston Villa up. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, I wouldn't want to bring that up because um, it was obviously all down to how, um, how well Villa prepared, how they spent their money and the culture they brought around the club. So um, <laughs> that's obviously what it's more about. Uh, so we will see Bournemouth and Watford in the Championship next year. How exciting. Harry's Sponsors on the Ball, a podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Harry's was founded by Jeff and Andy, two ordinary guys who are sick and tired of overpriced razors. Jeff and Andy knew there was only one way to ensure quality, so they bought their own factory. And now, by taking less profit, Harry's offers great quality products for a fair price. Their amazing quality blades are now almost half the price of the leading five-blade brand. Harry's trial set includes everything you need for a close, comfortable shave, weighted ergonomic handle, five precision engineered blades, rich lathering shave gel and travel blade cover. That's worth saying at this point, I have got one of these packs and it is fantastic. I I do also have a beard, as you'll know, but I do like to trim around it. And I have to say, my neck has never felt so good. As a listener of On The Ball, you can start shaving with Harry's today by claiming your trial set for £3.95. Support our podcast and get your set delivered to you, including a razor handle, five-blade cartridge, foaming shave gel and travel blade cover by going to harrys.com forward slash on the ball right now. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S dot com forward slash on the ball. It has been uh, quite a busy, uh, well end to the season stroke start to the new one obviously it's uh, we now know that the championship will start on the weekend of the 12th of september so that's going to come around before you even know it um and it will finish at the same time as usual i think i can't remember the exact date but it's like the second weekend or first weekend of may and then the playoffs will be um at that uh, second bank holiday weekend in may so essentially the season's going to end at a normal time and have six weeks off at the start. So quite how they're going to cram everything in. I'm not sure anyone's really kind of addressed that yet, but we will wait and see. <laughs> um, uh, Brentford are in the middle of their meltdown and might miss out on uh, being promoted through the playoffs, but uh, those playoffs have only just started, of course, in the Championship, which is one of the uh, the only resolved matter, I think, now, isn't it? Because we know that Wickham got promoted from the League One playoffs. Is that right? Feels like such yep. a long time ago. Yes, yeah, Steve. yeah. Yep, good. Thanks, gents. Um, and so Norwich are busy planning. We've already mentioned two of them. As I said, you can read my um, Jacob or Jakob. I'm not sure we've entirely decided which. Uh, Sorensen, uh, he has joined from Edgeburg. And uh, you can read my piece on him and a bit of analysis into where his strengths and weaknesses are and uh, what he will bring to the side. Um, and of course, we also had confirmation that uh, Shemik Plachetta Plajeta, Plajeta, I still, I'm still not sure. Um, I tried to do it really quickly and confidently and then I, I undermined it all. But um, uh, he's, um, as, as, uh, he's a roadrunner, I think, really quick. And, uh, but he has got some football skills, according to Daniel Farkas. So <laughs> he's not just going to run really quickly and uh, forget about the ball. Um, uh, excited about these two? I spoke to someone at the club, um, one of the current players, actually, the other day. And he, he said they look, they look the part and look exciting. So that's, that's good to hear. Yeah, I am excited about these two. Um, I think just looking at them both, it, it's clear that um, Weber and Farker are, are trying to add a bit more physicality to the squad. Um, as you mentioned there, Michael Pochetta is a rapid winger. Um, so sort of more in the Onel Hernandez mould than a sort of Buendia Cantwell type, which is good. I think we needed another option like that. 
Um, and Prochetta seems to have performed really well um, this season and especially since um, they came back from lockdown in the, in the Polish um, top division. So really encouraging mm-hmm. there. And hopefully with him and, and Sinani as well, um, who, who have, they both have kind of good goal scoring records. We, we need goals from all over the pitch, um, especially considering the doubts over the, the striker position that we mentioned earlier. Um, Sorensen seems like a really good fit. Again, a physical presence in midfield and, and just looking at some of the numbers, it, it's also clear that he appears able to sort of shift possession forward quite comfortably from, from a defensive midfield position, which is really crucial in, in Daniel Farker's um, system. So yeah, I am. I'm really excited. They're both young, but they both have a, a good number of senior appearances under their belt as well. So I'm hopeful they'll be able to hit the ground running. Uh, it's, it's interesting. We were just talking about a striker, of course, and how Norwich need to sign one. We, we could be in the situation where the you know the first two weeks of September have gone. Daniel Sinani has Sinani has impressed so much. He scored. You know, hit the ground running. Scored a few goals. You know, <laughs> maybe maybe Norwich have already got the striker that they would need. Who knows? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but it's worth re- remembering. Um, and uh, I think we'll expect um, Bali Mumba's signing to be confirmed probably by the time this podcast is out. Uh, Sebastian Soto is likely to be out on, on loan this season, but he is, he is uh, on, um, on the books. And Matthew Dennis uh, will also be in the 23 squad. And I expect those two to both be, uh, both be confirmed. But um, yeah, what do, you, what do you... Is that one of Sorensen and um, Poiheta you're looking forward to, Steve? Uh, yeah, I'm I'm quite excited to see Plajeta. I think um, the, the the pace on the counter is something that we we use or try to use quite a lot this season. So clearly, that's that's going to be a weapon. Um, and uh, I was having a look at the Polish Premier Division, and uh, Slask came fourth. So um, a good season and a player who starred for them that that bodes well. Um, what what I like is that we're getting our business. I mean, obviously, I think we still have a lot of business to go, but it seems like we're getting our business done early. That was always something that we we did under Paul Lambert, and I I thought really worked well in those seasons. Um, uh, to, to be honest, um, my, my feeling with Stuart Webber is he knows a good championship player when he sees one. Uh, Jury's definitely out on the Premier League level, but certainly his record at championship level kind of speaks for itself. So um, I don't know a great deal about them individually, but um, I have faith in, in Webber to pick, out, to, to pick out the right players. So I'm enthused. I think what's interesting when looking at the transfer picture as a whole is we know pre-season is truncated. And the transfer window, I think, closes on the 5th of October. But there's a two-week domestic transfer window um, after that. So the 16th of October, which is over a month after the season starts. So, you know, we're going to be going into that first game on the weekend of September the 12th. Probably, you know, this is usually the case, but even more so this season with a squad that could still have some additions and some players taken away from it. It's going to be meant. It's going to be. It's going to be really difficult, I think, because what yeah. what what happens if you've got Sam McCullum and you're like, well, we need to start him. So what? You then don't play Jamal Lewis, but you might be tempted to still sell him if you get a big offer in. And then, but will what will you know potential suitors do if they see that? They're probably not going to offer as much money, are they? And the same with Max Aaron's, and you know, you imagine Max and. and and Ben Godfrey will, will be starting. Todd Cantwell, of course, you have to throw, throw him into it all as well. So it, a lot of moving parts, given that Norwich are buying before they, they sell. They, they have the potential to have a massive squad when the first game kicks off and then see how it sort of unravels over the next month or so. Yeah, it's interesting as well because we tend to do a lot of our recruitment um, from abroad so obviously on the 5th of October that, that those shutters come down on that but then if if potentially you know we get some big offers for some of our players from domestic clubs in the two weeks after that I don't know it could leave us in a position where which we might not have expected 
Um, well, but well, we're, I, as we said, I, we're doing our recruitment early. Sorry, Steve. I, I think so. I was, I was just going to say, I think the, the domestic window could play into our hand in, in as much as we do have these um, saleable assets, if you like. And if they're still on our books um, come the 5th of October, I think you said it was, um, then there may be Premier League players who need to fill the gaps in their squads but need quality players to do so. They're not going to be able to go abroad. So I think we can kind of say, well, you know, if you want them, you're going to have to pay a high price for them because we know that, the, that they might be the best options that Premier League clubs have got. So. Um, if, if we can hold on until that long, then it, it might play into our hands in terms of getting a good price for those players. Absolutely. Dealing in a restricted market should um, push the prices up. Um, how, um, so obviously there'll be lots more uh, in terms of recruitment and what have you. And I think, to be honest, we'll probably be doing some podcasts here and there over, over the close season, looking at where Norwich's squad are. And we'll obviously be bringing you updates on, on the recruitment and things. Um, as I said, middle of September, the championship starts. I'm not sure when the fixtures will come out. I think I've heard sort of middle, early middle of, of August, hopefully. With what we want Norwich to achieve next season, how, how high is the bar for you, Ben? Because what, I've, what I'm doing now is I'm looking at, yeah, I've never been in this position, position before because when Norwich have been relegated, I'd kind of say, look, yeah, finish in the top six and that's okay. But I, I feel like I've given them so much leeway in the past 12 months that actually next season, I'm kind of expecting them to finish in the top two because that was what this was all about. Not really about, you know, otherwise they've just jacked in the Premier League and I know they haven't, but it feels like that. For what? Finishing, you know, somewhere in the, as an also round in the championship. I've, I feel like that, that's almost too much leeway to, to give them. And so therefore I'm setting the, high, the bar really high. So things like I want to see them much better defensively next season. They could probably get promoted with the same defence and the same defensive performance, Ben, but I want them to be better than that. I don't want them to look like when they come up against uh, you know, teams like, say, Sheffield United equivalent, um, that they can't beat them in, in two games. I don't want players like Mason Mount to look like they're you know, very good at that, you know, and, and could get into our side. I almost don't want a single championship player to be able to get into Norwich's side next year. Completely unrealistic <laughs> expectations, but that, that's almost where I'm setting the bar at because of how, how this year has kind of paved the way for that, I feel, in my head. So put me right. A lot of fans will feel kind of anger at how disastrous this season has been. And, and, the, and, and what happened last time, you know, last time we were in this league, we, we, we won it. And as much as the world changes and squads change and, and the championship is extremely competitive, people will have that kind of expectation. For me personally, I think I would, I would take a top six finish now. Like, and I know that might seem a little unambitious, but I just know what the championship is like. And we're talking about Watford and Bournemouth and how strong their squads potentially could be. Obviously there are some question marks hanging over those two as well um, in terms of managers, but we know, you know they're, they're going to be strong. There's no doububt about it. And there are the teams in there as well. But yeah, a lot of players who have been there and done it and hopefully will have the hunger to do it again. We've got a manager who's been there and done it. Um, so yeah, I think, I think I don't think you're being un... un um, I, think, I think it's reasonable for you to expect that, Michael, but I, th- I also think it is going to be hard. It's not going to be a kind of stroll in the park. I mean, I feel like I'm the sort, I'm currently being the sort of person that I would have slapped around the face about four <laughs> years ago because it's just ridiculous what, 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 what that level of expectation in a division like the championship. It, it struck me, Steve, actually, because Daniel Farker, um, when we were talking to him over Zoom straight after the game yesterday, kind of said, well, you know, it's not like we'll just be going back into the championship as defending champions because you know, we won it last time. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. In theory, you are defending champ. You're defending the title you won there last time and you haven't been back there since. So it's all those little things, I suppose. And, you know, it's uh, all of that on top of everything else. 
Yeah, and I think I, I, I don't blame you for feeling like that because I think Weber and Farker have downplayed expectations so much. You know, Farker saying we only had a 5% chance and, and Weber saying we're a top 26 club and all this kind of stuff, which ends up being thrown back at them. At them um, that, that, that it's kind of like they've had a bit of a free pass. Well, now we need to, we need to step up uh, next season. Um, I think it's going to be really, really hard. Um, and, and that's not so much uh, because I don't believe that we can do it again. Um, but it, it doesn't happen that often. I was—I I don't know if I've said this before on this podcast about um, Farker and, and the stats of managers, but um, in, in terms of clubs that have gone promotion to the Premier League, uh, relegation from the Premier League, and then being promoted again under the same manager that got them up the first time, uh, it's only happened three times in the entire history of the Premier League, um, which was Kirbishley for Charlton, uh, Megson for West Brom and Dyche for Burnley so that you, you're looking at about one a decade so it's very very rare that a team gets promoted comes back down and then immediately goes back up again under the same manager that's effectively what we're asking Farker to do uh, I think I think it's going to be a real real challenge um, so I would set the goal personally in terms of my expectations no higher than top six but you're saying Gary Megson did it so there is a chance <laughs> football's very different back in uh, 2004 <laughs> what Gary, it is now Gary Megson uh, well look I think on um, on having a good old discussion about what next season brings feels like the perfect way to end um, this podcast and uh, this season's podcast I suppose because we're well into closed season um, territory uh, so in which case uh, that is it for this edition of On The Ball and we hope you're uh, enjoying what we're doing of course you've enjoyed it all season and you will continue to enjoy it uh, and if you do please do spread the word uh, across the Norwich City world if you'd like to get in touch with us uh, it doesn't matter that there's no football then please do ask any questions propose any topics to cover just sling me a tweet or direct message on Twitter which uh, of course the handle is at Michael J. Bailey. Uh, in the meantime, uh, a big thank you to you, Ben. Thank you very much for today and the season. Thanks to you, Michael, as well. I say the season, I mean, it was November, although that probably has been a season in itself, actually, hasn't it? Um, uh, Steve, uh, likewise, and thank you very much for your numbers. Ah, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Let's hope for, let's hope for better next season. I, I know and we all know that people prefer happy numbers than bad than bad not sad numbers um, a, a big thank you to uh, Hodgie and to all the guests we've had on over the course of the season it has been wonderful our our starting point for the On The Ball podcast and we'll be back of course uh, next season and through uh, the summer and of course thank you to you all out there for listening and getting involved we really appreciate it uh, that is the end of the season keep subscribed to our feed uh, through your usual player uh, as we will be bringing you fresh podcasts on breaking news, new signings, big departures and everything else in between uh, during the closed season with our usually stellar guests and talking heads. I've written usually, I think I meant usual, but you know, what, what, it seems only fitting to end on a literal that I've written in the script. Um, until then, uh, that is it from another edition of On The Ball, a Norwich City podcast from The Athletic. Until next time, good night. Good night.